Welcome to another edition of Unplug. It always nice to uh, to come off back-to-back wins over Richmond and Collingwood at the MCG. Historically, it's not something that happens uh, a hell of a lot. We beat Richmond and Collingwood in consecutive games twice in season 2005, uh, although a couple of those matches were at Marvel and we played them in a couple of big finals in the early 70s in consecutive matches as well, but always nice to uh, to roll both of those sides. It was a, a largely convincing performance with a, a pretty ordinary 20 minutes to finish, but it's a game that felt like a belting and was a belting, but got a little bit tight towards the end, which has happened a few times this season, but it is one that we did get away with on this occasion. So uh, we look ahead to Brisbane knowing that our season is still alive, but it is hanging by a thread somewhat in the sense that if we don't uh, tick all of the boxes in the uh, in the coming weeks, or at least most of them, then our season can end fairly quickly. So from, from our point of view, we go to Queensland to take on Brisbane at uh, Metricon Stadium. So that's a little bit of a blessing, obviously coming off the uh, the COVID restrictions, meaning you don't play them at the Gabba. But we'll pull that game apart very shortly. H, I guess your thoughts uh, to beat the old enemy Collingwood was, was pretty pleasing, even if it got a bit too scary in the last quarter. Uh, you certainly know how to give us stress when it's really not needed. It's It was... You saw it again to three quarters. Oh, you get to three quarter time thinking, all right, yep, this is all good. Five minutes ago, you think, don't come on, no, no, you can't, you can't do that to us. That it's you're just thinking, it's 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 not right. Um, so to take the four points on you go, we'll take it every day of the week, but we've we've got to put a team away at some point, not not let them just come back at us. And I mean that game's a few minutes longer and we, we possibly go down there. So it, yeah, it, it'd just be nice to finish one of those games off for once. It was, it was good to hold on to the points um, against Richmond the week before and keep that margin a bit higher, but yeah, just it's the one thing we haven't been able to do. Other teams are coming back at us late or they're blowing us away late in the game as well. So we, yeah, we've got to finish a couple of games off a little bit better. For three it's, quarters, Nick, they were nearly identical games of footy as the Richmond and Collingwood game. Very, very much so. It was, you know, like H said, it was it was nice that we actually held on for once, that we held on and, and you know, were able to, to stick it out at the end, although it's probably more the fact that they just ran out of time than, than we did anything particularly difficult or, or tough to hold on at the end. But, you know, it's, like you said, nice to get the four points, nice to get two wins in a row over, over those two teams in particular. Um, nice to have who held on in the end, but really, really frustrating because at three quarter time, that was, you know, that was a, a 12 or 14 goal win for the taking. You know, we had all the run, we had we, dominating possession, we were dominating field position, we were dominating everything. And it just, you know, that, that should have been a hundred point win, you know, and for it to get to the point that it did with two minutes to go is just, I mean, it's, it's verging on embarrassing again, that this keeps happening, that, you know, we just can't hold on to leads. We can't put teams away, like you said, H. And, and you know, if, if this team ever wants to, to get anywhere in terms of, you know, playing finals football, winning, winning finals footy and, and being a legitimate crack at, at winning important games of footy, they've got to be able to do that. And, and right now they're not. And it doesn't matter who they're playing against. You know, we saw it, we've seen it multiple times all year, whether it's North Melbourne or Adelaide or Sydney or, or whoever it is that, you know, we can we can dominate for, for three and a half quarters and then just drop the bundle completely and, and let it slip. 
Yeah, twice last year we gave up five or six goal leads and got beaten. We've done it once this year and lost, and we've done it a couple of other times this year and had a match get much tighter than it should have. Obviously, the North game we were never under threat. I think the closest they got was four goals towards the end, but we gave up a, a chance to win by 10 or 12. Uh, the Collingwood game we were 49 points in front. They'd only kicked two goals just before three-quarter time, and um, it was a weird one. Like, it... It feels like we we're never going to lose, it feel, but it, but at the same time you're thinking, well, geez, what if they had got a clean? I think there was a point with two minutes to go where they were streaking down the wing and kicked it forward, and you thought, shit, if they kick a goal there, uh, well, it's going to be a pretty nervous last 90 seconds. But then we had the ball for pretty much the, the rest of the game and actually missed a couple of shots to go back out by three or four. Um, I just remember yeah. like, with, with a few minutes to go and just thinking, not again. So you can't can't do this to us again. Yeah, I was sitting on the couch thinking, I have no right. I have no, I don't deserve to feel nervous today. Like um, this was going so well. Like why do I feel anxious for two, three minutes at the end of the game? That's not fair. We were in complete control of this game. But um, yeah, they they got away with it. I'm at the point now where look, our percentage is so ordinary that um, we're not going to make up enough of that. Um, so it's just a case of winning the required games. I think that GWS are likely to finish on around about 11 and a half wins. Um, I think teams like Richmond and Essendon and the like could finish on 11. Uh, we'd have to finish on 12, basically. Um, uh, that's been the case for a while. So at seven and eight, we've got to win five of our last seven matches, um, which includes Brisbane at the Gabba, West Coast in Perth, Geelong at Cadinia Park, of course. But um, uh, we get Port and Sydney at Marvel, which they're good size, but we'd be a chance. And then obviously the likes of Fremantle and Carlton, which would be non-negotiables. Um, and we've got to find one more win. So if you if you paint our picture, we've got to beat the games where a good chance of winning, like Fremantle, Carlton, Port Adelaide, Sydney, and then beat one of Brisbane at Metricon, West Coast in Perth, or Geelong at Cadinia Park. We have to win one of those three games. So um, well, this who's is to almost, say we're good enough? Yeah. This is almost, you know, the one this week, you know, it's great for the games, chance, not, in, not in Brisbane. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's it's probably good that it's not at Marvel because Brisbane are a pretty good Marvel team. Yeah, uh, I reckon yeah, at the maybe MCG we better. But... Yeah, maybe at the G, maybe at Geelong it could have been better. But you know, we we play pretty pretty well at Metricon, and we showed that last year that we can play that ground pretty well. So, yeah, it's not a bad it's not a bad outcome for us. But we got to turn up. Yeah, and we got to play it the, the whole way. Um, obviously, no let up. So I'll kick twelve goals in a quarter if you if you let up against them. So. Yeah, and I was going to say the percentage wise. I mean, yeah, that I had a quick look at it at one stage and going, well, if we need four less goals, that, that costs us three and a half percent of the ladder. I mean, you add that up over the games where if we North Melbourne, you add that on, and you don't concede quite as many against other teams. It's it, that three percent, three percent, three percent. It changes very quickly, and it could, it, yeah, that that's what means that we have to win that extra game, which is going to be. Unless we're chasing West Coast, which who are a bit struggling at the moment as well after Sydney on the weekend, that so uh, we need a few more results going our way like that as well for it to to go our way. So I mean that that's a that's a team that possibly we pinch one against because they're not travelling too well no, at the moment. No. I mean it's in Western Australia, but they've they've looked very ordinary every every couple of weeks, and we get them on the right week there's four points we could take off them. They've been a bit like us where they've been at times inexplicably bad. I know they've got a few players out. They, at times they've looked like, oh, yeah, that's them. And, and at times this year we've looked like, oh, yeah, that's what they were tracking towards last year, like the West Coast game and even the Richmond game. It's like, yeah, yeah, they were building towards that. That's kind of familiar. But then they throw in performances like, in their case, 
the Geelong game, the Sydney game, the Bulldogs game, and in our case, obviously, Essendon and um, Bulldogs and Richmond the first time and all of that. So, yeah, I mean... They're, they've been really Jekyll and Hyde, which suggests a bit of a, a disconnect. But, I mean, look, we, we haven't played consistent football to a level that suggests we would make the finals. But as St Kilda supporters, we're eternally, you know, pessimistic but optimistic at the same time. Like, we are alive. So, if you the are alive... We're you're even, talk... The fact that we're even having this conversation, the fact that's that we're right. still alive after those four losses earlier in mm-hmm. the year, like, that's just beyond me. I just almost yeah. don't understand how that's even possible that we're still here talking about the potential to play finals. Like it just doesn't make sense. That's right. And we'll talk about it until it's not possible anymore. Like we're at the point now where, you know, and this is a life of it. We had a crisis meeting a couple of weeks ago about what was going on. Now we're sitting there thinking if we can find a way to beat Brisbane at Metricon, we will probably make the eight. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. But, um, but yeah, that's the, that's where we're at. And that's the life of a, of a Saints fan. So we'll, we'll look to that game with optimism, but um, I really liked our, I mean, our rucks are, are obviously so important to us. Like, I've never seen a, a area of the ground or, or a player or, or double active players make such an influence on a side. Um, that was probably the first time we got hold of Grundy. I mean, Grundy was all right. Um, he certainly didn't play a bad game for Collingwood, but we had far greater impact in the ruck than they did through Marshall and Ryder kicking three goals and taking contested marks. Um, so that was... That was something I really liked. And, and also, H, it makes Max King a better player when Marshall's a target alongside of him. You just look at how good King has been in the last fortnight. Yeah, it certainly makes the defenders worry a little bit more. And if we haven't got any other tools down there, the defenders look and go, all right, where's, where's the ball going? All right, well, we get there. You put, as you say, you have Max down there and you put Marshall down there at the same time or Paddy if he's, he pops up every now and then as well. And the defense like, oh, who do we go to? Which, which one are we defending? It just gives that extra target that we go, well, that's where we're winning, we can win games. If we've got that extra player that's down there helping out, uh, if those two aren't getting it, Membry's getting the ball. He's taking marks of the... If, if it's falling to the ground, we've got the smalls to get there to get the crumbs. But those that extra tall just really open, opens the forward line up for us and gives us that extra opportunity. So, I mean... This is where Max has got to look and go, all right, I I don't have as many defenders on me. I'm going to take uh, control of this game and get keep control of the forward line and j- just show what I can do. And I mean, he's got some big defenders this week to come up against. They're, they're very well-known, um, very well-known defensive unit, Brisbane. So if he can get a few... Three, like two, three goals this week. That that's probably a win for him up there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's not going to be an easy task for him. That's for sure. And um, yeah, if just just get half decent return. Even if he goes up the ground to get some early ball, get that confidence up, and then get back down there and yeah, try to find a couple for us. The, the thing about I think having having both Marshall and Ryder, you know, we, we've spoken about it a number of times, and I think the club has also kind of internally and externally spoken about, you know, the, the impact that having both those guys has on guys like Max King, and and you mentioned it before, but you know, it's not. I, I don't think it's necessarily just having a, another tall target, but it's it's that particular one of being able to put Marshall forward. He's He's not just a marking target, but he's also a really physical type forward. And and at ground level, 
you know, your defenders have to be accountable because he'll run through you as well. And we saw a couple of times the ball would come in and, and hit the deck and Marshall would still be a factor in the contest just because of the fact that he's such a big body and he doesn't shy away from body contact. He doesn't, you know, even, even Paddy and Paddy's not a hugely physical type guy, but you know, when, when the ball's in the air and it's there to be one, he throws everything he's got at it. Um, and, and same when it's, when it's on the ground as well. And, and both of those guys can have an impact physically on their, on their defender or on the defenders in the area, in the zone. Whereas King doesn't have that physicality yet. You know, he's, he's a much smaller, he's more agile, I guess, but um, he doesn't have that, you know, the, those five or six years of building body size and, and weight and strength and power to be able to impact the contest as much. And, and so putting Marshall in the forward line next to, next to King just gives that extra, um, you know, physicality and, and extra grunt at the contest that just frees King up a little bit to, to play with a bit more freedom and, and creativity. Whereas before, you know, you get you know, in, in the first half of the year when one or both of Ryder and Marshall were out and you've got King kind of one-on-one or, or one-on-two or more sometimes with, you know, some of the best defenders in the league, there's no one else there that can physically make those guys accountable. And I think this is probably the, the, the best example of an, an elite defense, you know, with those guys that you mentioned before around that, that Brisbane kind of defensive unit that we can really start to see the impact that those guys can have on King and, and hopefully, you know, Marshall Ryder and King can start to, to make guys like Harris Andrews accountable for the, for the contest, for their, for their forward, for their um, opponent, because in previous weeks and, and, you know, we know that it's something that happened a lot against us earlier in the year was that we just let these guys take uncontested um, intercept mark time after time, after time, we just bomb it into the forward line and there's no one there except that intercept defender. And, you know, May and Lever and these guys, they, they do it all the time against us. Um, and you know, Harris Andrews did it last year. Um, and, you know, hopefully having both of those guys back and, and fit and firing will uh, will go some way to, to making him accountable because it's the only way that you can beat Brisbane is having Harris Andrews accountable for a forward. One thing that I'm just staying with King again, that, that not doesn't involve him, but something that surprised me that I just recently noticed too was I'm looking at, Harry Mackay and watching him play at the moment. And then and I sort of looked and went, hang on, he's 24 at the end of this year. I, it just hit me all of a sudden thinking, I, I didn't realise he was that old yet. So you sort of mm. look and go, well, Max has only just turned 21. You think, well, okay, there's, there's almost three years on him there. And you're thinking, okay, well, he's he's pretty much just peaked this year. Mm. Or he's starting to pick up this year, Harry Mackay. So, and even even his brother, it, you know, Ben's had two yeah. extra pre-seasons, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So it sort of looked uh, looked at that and went, okay, well, maybe we're looking at two years' time going, okay, that's when he's really going to burst burst out of the and, – and really pick up from where, where he should be going to. Cause so, uh, I mean, the main thing there being that, yeah, it surprised me that it was, it was that much age difference between the two of them. I thought they were a lot, actually a year or two closer than that. So mm. it, it's, it instills a bit more confidence in going, well – well, he's still got a bit of time and he really shouldn't be expected to take off until then, I guess. Looking, and that's exactly right. I think that, that maturity is something we do have to remember. It takes a little while, particularly with key position players. Um, we'll have a look at the Brisbane game shortly and we'll also catch up with former star and best and fairest winner Hall of Famer Stuart Trott. But 
votes. Uh, it was another one where we had a lot of good players, um, a lot of players that were in the mix for, for votes. Um, I, I gave a, a couple of apologies. I thought that um, a lot of our defenders were, were pretty good over the course of the day. I also gave apologies to both of our ruckmen. Um, and to the likes of Crouch and Dunstan through the middle of the ground. But I gave one vote to Jimmy Webster. I thought off halfback he was really important. Um, I gave two votes to Brad Hill, 22 kicks, 30 possessions, the most he's had in a game for us, uh, probably the most effective game he's had. He's had 14 touches in the first quarter, and Jack Steele's had 36 possessions, 14 tackles, nine clearances, um, all of those, I think, even career highs for him. So just another three-vote game. You should get three Brownlow votes as well for that one. And streaking away with the BNF, H, how did you play it? Uh, similar apologies. Um, yeah, the, I mean, as, as key as the, our Ruckman are, they they do their job. They, they sort, we, we, we're kind of expecting when they come together, this is what they're going to give us. And it's, unless one of them really breaks out the game and like destroys a say a Max Gorn or something like that, um, like absolutely keeps them to nothing. They, it, Yeah, I'd love to give a few more votes to them, but the three that I did, I wish I could just give the two, two give them two each just to make it easier. It was, it was sitting there with five, six names and quick, slowly ticked off other ones and went, all right, these are the three I'm left with and going, all right, now I've got to give one of them three. And so um, I ended up giving one to Brad Hill, the, Oh, that magnificent first quarter. That that was that that's what we thought we might see from the first day he walked into the club. Um that the ball just followed him everywhere and you found space that you sort of go, Well it's the space that we know as soon as you can find that space, he'll run, he'll give us the options, he'll open the game up and, and that's what he did is he exposed them in the first quarter. They they had no idea what to do. They Every time I think they turned around, they went, "Oh, he's got the ball again. What are we going to do? How how are we going to stop him?" So, he it, it, it's sort of he probably only got the one because it sort of disappeared in the last quarter a little bit when I mean, most plays kind of disappeared. But he was probably one of the driving factor in the first few quarters there. So, yeah, so I gave him the one. I got two Dunstan. Um, they ended up having twenty seven touches. It was ten clearances, which was the best for the team and. Um, I think what was the other thing? Nine tackles as well. So uh, he was doing it, getting the ball and stopping the ball when Collingwood had it as well. So it, probably that two games that he's had now in a row, that, that'd be the best two games he's strung back-to-back for the club in his career. Uh, just, if he if he can bring three quarters of that for every match for the rest of the season, he's going to finish off really well. That that That's as that's as good as he has to be to finish off the season and go, Hey, I've had a great season. Um, and three, I think you Jack Steele. I mean, there's nothing more to say to that really. It, it, I mean, he's had a few good games the last few weeks, but steps up this week and yeah, you know, 36 tax touches and 14 tackles. That's, that's huge numbers. So they're definite deserve three there. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty similar. Um, I gave honorable, Mentions to Jimmy Webster, Rowan Marshall, and Jack Sinclair. I thought Sinclair was really good and has been all year um, and, and was very close to, to being in the vote. So I gave one vote to Paddy Ryder. Um, his numbers his numbers didn't jump off, off the page. You know, 23 or 24 hit outs. Um, you know, he kind of broke even when he was in the ruck. I thought he, he, he made 
Grundy accountable around the ground, but his ability to to float forward and impact the scoreboard is something that we've really missed too. And um, yeah, he had five score involvements and, and kicked a couple of goals. I thought he was really impactful, and it wasn't just you know the pure numbers of his game, but it was how he impacted contest. It was how how he covered the ground, how you know he made his man accountable, how he made defenders accountable. He just had such a huge impact, even for those limited the limited touches. I think he had nine disposals for the game, but um, just very high impact touches and, and very high impact player for, for his time on the ground. Um, I gave two votes to Brad Hill. Like you said, his, his first half and that first quarter in particular was just standout football. And, and we spoke last week that when Brad Hill is, is running with the ball, he's taking bounces and he's kicking long. Yeah. Our team looks so much better. We, we, we look straighter. We look more dynamic. We look more offensive and, and attacking. Um, and he's, he's able to do it both ways. We saw him kind of sit across halfback for a little while, you know, blocking up some space and, and um, you know, making it very hard for, for Collingwood to get past the, the middle because they had nowhere to kick it to when they, when they won possession back. Um, but like you said, 30 touches, um, 710 metres gained for, for the game, which is you know, it's a huge number, um, and five inside 50s as well. Um, and clearly Jack's deal. I mean, that was probably his best game. I think he's been in the votes almost every week for the last month, but that was probably his best game almost for the year. Um, 36 touches, 14 tackles, eight clearances, seven score involvement, six inside fifties. He just does everything. And, and he continues to lead from the front week after week after week, no matter what the situation is, he just doesn't have a bad game. There are votes and fairly familiar with that name at the top who is streaking away with it. We're going to go back in time now. We haven't quite gone back that many generations as part of uh, Unplugged, but we're going to catch up with a man who narrowly missed the 66 flag just based on his arrival at the club. It was a key part in why we nearly won another one in 1971. Stuart, you've just been inducted into the St. Kilda Hall of Fame. What does that uh, achievement mean to you? Humbling. What I said when I was up there, it's it's an honour. Look, it's an honour to play one game of football. It's then an honour that you go to 10, to 20, to 30, but you never, ever, ever think that this would happen. So be inducted into your football club's Hall of Fame saying you're a person and a player that means a lot to the... that means something to the footy club. That's great. And I've got my grandkids here and they're all old enough to kind of think, oh, that's what Poppy did, you know, yeah. Well, on Unplugged now, we're going to cross back and chat with Stuart Trotter. He came across to the Saints at the end of 1966, obviously the tremendous period for the club. He would play 159 games between 1967 and 1974 before joining the Hawks and ended his career on 200 league games. He was a star player through a very good period for the Saints. Uh, the 1971 grand final, he would win a best and fairest in 1972 and was inducted into the club's Hall of Fame in 2016. Stuart, thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, pleasure, Darren. Now, can you take us back? A lot of the, the guys we talk to now, it was, oh, I was drafted from such and such with pick 26 and, and came through the, the, the TAC Cup and all of that sort of thing. But obviously times are a little bit different then. You came from what is traditionally a St Kilda heartland in that Frankston sort of area. But can you take us through arriving at the club, how that came about and obviously getting to a club that had just won a flag? Uh, it's a funny situation, actually, because Essendon had signed me as a kid and... Uh, uh, I was on a Form 4 with Essendon and uh, Ian Drake came knocking at my 
home and Drakey only lived a mile away. He said, listen, you're not going to play with Essendon. Uh, sit here for two years, wait for the Form 4 to run out and uh, come and join the Saints. And the other thing was Travis Pays and I played junior football together. So that's basically how it happened. Uh, Drakey uh, knew me well, basically, because our junior coach lived next door to him. So I waited the two years and then uh, happily uh, I was in the rooms during the 66 grand final and about a week after the 66 grand final, the Form 4 ran out and I signed with the Saints. Now, Stuart, I guess going back a, a little bit earlier, but what was what was your uh, your childhood like? What was it like growing up? You're obviously the, the grandson of Harry Trott, captain Australia in, in Test cricket. What was that like growing up with that surname in, in that time? And and what was the what was kind of the family, I guess, pressure like having that name? No, no, no pressure at all. Uh, my mum and dad split up when I was a seven or eight year old, and uh, uh, the next door neighbour and I he was a terrific bloke, a bloke called Bert Kressel. Uh, he had me in the backyard kicking kick to kick with him because he had four daughters. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I had a terrific uh, neighbour next door, a terrific football club in Frank's footy club, and I was surrounded by wonderful people. So the, the it was a great football upbringing, mainly due to maybe Bert Cressel, my next-door neighbour. He was an elderly bloke. He was most probably, he was most probably late 30s when I was a seven-year-old. So coming from the Frankston Bombers, uh, obviously, unfortunately, we didn't have Frankston as a recruiting zone not long after you. You've got a few players that have come through after you, the likes of Dermot Brereton and that sort of thing. But how has Frankston, um, after your VFL career, did you have much association with them afterwards and anything there? Well, or? But it's one of my pet hobby horses, uh you know, and that when zoning came in, Gary Collins signed the night before zoning came up, and uh, we were given Ballarat without the Westgate Bridge, and Hawthorne were giving uh, half of Frankston and the Mornington Peninsula. The reason St Kilda went to Moorabbin was to get the Morning Mornington Peninsula in southwest Gippsland, and that was kindly given to Hawthorne. So most of those Hawthorne flags. You know, uh, all those blokes would have been St Kilda players and they were blokes I went to school with. Yeah, so it was an absolute tragedy for yeah, St Kilda. It, our history is littered with a, a lot of that. Obviously, we ended up getting some fine Frankston talent later on with Robert Harvey and Nathan Burke and Stuart Lowe and Spider Everett and guys from down that neck of the woods, but the damage had obviously been done prior to that. So your, your time at the Saints was, was entirely under... Alan Jeans, can you sort of take yeah. us through your um, your impressions of of Yabby as a, as a coach? And obviously, he was right at the top of his game when you made your debut as a, as coach of the reigning premiers. Oh, it's, it's a funny question that because I reckon the power that that was given to Alan Jeans was given to him by Ian Drake. Ian Drake came from uh, Tasmania. There was no fluke that you know Verdon Howley and Stuart Darrell Balder, John Bonney and a few other, many other blokes ended up at St Kilda and they ended up at St Kilda basically because of Ian Drake's work. Uh, and he filled that side up uh, uh, with some amazing talent. And you know, 
he was most probably the driving force uh, for St Kilda to be successful. Now he gave he gave Jeansy a lot of good players. You, what what type of player were you? Obviously, you know, our generation we, we never got to see you play live. So there's there's some highlights and some some kind of grainy black and white video at times. But you know, looking back at some stats, um, you know, you averaged 18 touches off, off a wing, um, a goal every second week or, or thereabouts. What what type of player were you? Oh, I was well. I was a very quick winger. Most probably in my era, there was only one bloke that might have been a little bit quicker than me. That was Trevor McGregor, and I think he won the stall gift. Um, I was a very quick winger, and uh, in my early days, I was a rover, so I didn't mind a shot for goal. But I, I would say uh, in all the years I've played on the wing, especially when I was younger and, and most probably a little bit more fitter, uh, uh, I was very quick. And I had Carl, you know, I mean, people underestimate how much we all walked a lot taller with Carl looking after our backs and another great ruckman in Brian Minot who, you know, gave me plenty of the ball. So we had Brian Minot, Carl Dittridge, you know, uh, and then a bit later, Johnny McIntosh. So, you know, St Kilda did some amazing recruiting back in those days. So how did how did your opportunity come along? In, you've sort of come along later, well, an early game in '67, but later, sort of made your way into the team and held a position. Did was there something that someone was out injured, or did you no, did, no, did your no, reserves no. form really good? Was that is that what quite gave funny. you the position? Uh, it's funny. I I was second rover to Smithy in the first game against Richmond. I played on Roger Dean. Roger Dean got best on the ground. Mike Perry took the mark of the day above me. And I was in the uh, showers on the first night with Smithy. And when I got dropped, he said, gee, I thought they'd give you another go. And I said, I thought you'd give me a run on the ball. So <laughs> the second game was first rover because Smithy got in the state team. I think I kicked three goals, five in the seconds. And it was a bit hard to get dropped. And uh, my junior coach rang up a bloke called Ronnie Wilson, who was a coach of Secure Seconds, and said, listen, the boy's a wingman. Put him on the wing. So when I came back from the second crack, uh, which was Australia, kind of after the game, I kicked three goals, five. Uh, I was on the wing and the job was done then. Uh, looking at, obviously, St Kilda made the finals, I think, in five of your eight seasons at the club, played in three prelims and a grand final in 71. The 1971 grand final, whilst I, I would think St Kilda have had a lot of missed opportunities, that's one of the biggest we've ever had, 28 points in front about three minutes before yeah. three-quarter time, but also described yeah. as one of the most brutal games of football ever played, and, and I'm sure you would be able to be testament to that fact with a, a, a run-in with Lee Matthews in that game when you were probably yeah. best on ground at the time. Yeah, look, the two sides kind of squared off pretty well with each other. I reckon if we'd maybe beaten them in the second semi-final where we got beaten by a couple of points, and then I knew we'd beat Richmond to have another crack at them. But, look, that game, gee, we were stiff not to win it. I think Carl, Carl got hurt. And Carl was having a blinder, and uh, that's when they got on top in the ruck in the last quarter. But not not through any other reason that Carl was either hurt or he was completely 100% spent, you know. 
because he'd played a great game. Stu, you're, you're on record, I guess, as saying previously that that 71 prelim final against Richmond is, was one of your favourite games, if not your, your favourite oh, yeah. games of football. Yeah. What, what was yeah. it about that game? And, and what are your memories of, of that 71 year? Well, the, the amazing thing about, you know, we just got beaten by Hawthorne the second semi-final and everyone was, uh, no one gave us a chance to beat Richmond and all us boys, we knew we'd beat Richmond. So, you know, it was um, a drizzly day and we had a red-hot crack. Davo kicked a bag full of goals and, uh, you know, we took care of Richmond pretty easy and and quite quite honestly, not just I, I, I think all the guys, we believed we were going to beat them. So uh, when we did it, we did it fairly easy uh, and it, it, it vindicated us a little bit, you know, as a team. What was the so, yeah. what was the confidence levels going into the, the following week then? Oh no, we were new in for a real fair dickum game. You know, a great team, Hawthorne. I thought we'd win. I think they thought they'd win. And as the game panned out, it was nearly anyways anyone's. You know, I I can remember I come ripping through the centre of the ground in the third quarter, just before three quarter time, and I let go a big bomb heading down towards the. Uh, the Melbourne, uh, the city end, and it was going straight through the middle. And back in those days, the wind kind of came from the members and it kind of did a left-hand turn and hit the bloody post. So, you know, we would have been 35 points up, you know. I reckon we would have been hard to catch. Yeah. So following on from there, 72, um, pretty big year for yourself, coming up best and fairest and... Another finals campaign, obviously falling short slot just again. And yeah, um, well, the hard part about that a bloody big, a huge virus hit the club, and either the blokes were really crook that they still played, but you know, it sounds like I'm whinging a bit, but you wouldn't believe the bloody bad luck. Yeah, I think it, it continues on to this day, I think so. Yeah, um, but but for the, for the best and fairest, though, we know these days it's a big suit and tie affair and a huge, a huge night for the no. club and that. Do you remember yeah. much of the night that you had your best and fairest? You yeah, I was at home. I was at home, actually. And I got a phone call from me and Drake telling me I'd won the best and fairest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think, they counted, I think they uh, counted at Jeansy's place, yeah. Did, did you I, win something? Um, was there a prize? Uh, yeah, back then... Uh, uh, first, second, and third in the best and fairest got a thousand dollars each. <laughs> be worth a bit of money these days. Yeah. yeah, that was a fair bit of money because I, I think my total salary for that year was three and a half thousand dollars. So a thousand dollar bonus was a fair whack. My uh, my dad often talks about 1972, well, the misopportunity of 71, but he talks about the prelim of 72, which was a, a tremendous game of footy. We, we led Carlton all day. I think they, they hit the yeah. front with about eight minutes to go. Yeah. They beat us in the end with a, a couple of late goals. They then beat Richmond in the highest scoring grand final yeah. ever the, the week after. Um, when you think back on those era, do you, do you think more about 71 or 72 and, and, and the missed chances? Oh, look, 72 kind of... People forget because it wasn't a grand final, but I knew we had a lot of blokes crook on Thursday with the virus, like a heavy flu. 
So you wouldn't believe the bloody bad luck. It's, but you don't you don't think about that game uh, because of the seventy one grand grand finals get shown and shown and shown and shown. Yeah, yeah. But are I'm you very, able to you know, watch it? If if seventy one comes on TV, are you able to watch it, or you, or you got to steer clear of it because of the memories? Uh, I stayed clear of it for about twenty years, and then I thought, "Oh, you silly dickhead!" You know, to <laughs> watch watch the game. That you know, I had the joy of playing with wonderful footballers. I mean, I was absolutely blessed playing with the players I played with. Yeah, and the first captain was Daryl Border. Yeah, you know, I played football with Ian Stewart. I played football with Verdon Howe. Barry Breen, Carl Didridge, uh, John McIntosh, and Jeff Moran, you know, wonderful, wonderful servant of our footy club. You know, so there was a wonderful – and Jimmy O'Day, Jimmy, Jimmy and I played our first games together. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's sad, but, you know, as a kid I was happy to play one league game. I guess going, going back to, to that first game, what, what was it like – you know, walking into a footy club with Ian Stewart and Doc Baldock and, and Carl Dittrich, who you said, you know, you, you just walked taller when he was around. What, what was yeah. that like walking into that footy club at the time? I was pretty, I was pretty lucky because Travis Pays, Travis Pays and I played football together from our primary school. So when I was in the fourth grade, Pays was in the sixth grade and he was the school captain of primary school team. Then we played junior footy together. And then I, when I was up training with St Kilda when I still belonged to Essendon and I knew all the blokes. I trained with the club in 65 and 66, although I couldn't play for the club. And, and Paisy was yeah, my best mate. So when I officially became a St Kilda player in 67, yeah, I knew the blokes for a couple of years. The funny thing is I got a letter from Essendon inviting me to under-19 training in 1967. I think about eight weeks later, I was playing against their first. Now, we know most of the names, the big names, the, the, the names we hear all the time. But in the time that you were at the club, is there someone that was sort of a bit underrated, never really got much that you go, hey, that, they were a brilliant player and they... That, didn't really get the recognition from anyone. Well, I reckon Jeff Moran would be that. I mean, she was a great player and he's a member of the 66 grand final side. Um, you know, Jimmy O'Day was a champion. Bobby Murray, Daryl Griffiths. I mean, I'd rate Daryl Griffiths as good as Ian Stewart. You know, Griffo was a great player, but he had to play on the half-back flank because Stewie was in the centre, you know. But uh, oh, every line, there were some great players, really, really great players. And that's the, uh, the hard work that Ian Drake had done. The, uh, the, the Daryl Griffiths goal in the 66 grand final, without being sort of disrespectful, it looked almost like modern footy in the last quarter where he took a handball receive about 15 metres out, sidestep and then goal on the run. It looked uh, fantastic. Now, in that grand final, um, you mentioned Travis Pays. That was his third game of league footy. You mentioned yeah, that he was yeah. your best mate. and. Unfortunately, yeah. he was the first 1966 Premiership player to, to leave us, passed away in 2006. I think Roger Head might have been. Might have been. Roger Head might have been. Might have been, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll check the dates, but certainly he was one of the yeah. early ones and one of the younger yeah, ones, unfortunately, in that team. Yeah, he was. Obviously, given your relationship with him, that must have been
that must have been a tough little period. Oh, look, we, we were. I, I can remember most probably a year before he died. He, he my nickname was Turk, you know, and his nickname was Bongo. And he brought me a letter saying, "Oh dear Turk, can you do this for me?" Signed Bongo. He grabbed me aside and he said, "Mate, I'm going to die. Uh, I want you to speak my eulogy at um, my funeral." I said, oh, "Okay." I said, "I'm happy to do that." And uh, he said, "Right, are you promise?" I said, "You want me to tell a complete truth about you?" And he said, "Yeah, leave a couple of things out." But the funny thing was, he, he hung on and he hung on. And at his 60th birthday, he's still alive, and I'm invited. And I thought, "Well, bugger it, I've." I've been writing this eulogy for eight, nine months, and I thought I'll give it to him while he's still alive. So at his birthday party, I started, you know, I was making the speech and I started the eulogy, you know, it's just I've known him for this long and da, 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 da. And the funny thing about it, three quarters of the way through, he knew what I was up to. And he come walking up and he said, don't forget the Frankston Life Saving Club because he was a magnificent swimmer. So, yeah, it just broke me up. There's a bloke dying telling me not to forget the life-saving club in the real eulogy, you know. So, big, big effort from a bloke dying. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We, um, we, we were lucky enough uh, a year or so ago to, to speak to Barry Breen um, yep, on a call. And it was, it was just after um, that, that a bunch of the guys had caught up um, as a group with Cowboy Neil. Uh, are yeah. you still in touch with, with a lot of those guys? Were you there? At that no, cowboy celebration, they held, they held it at Beechworth, right? And I'd lived in Beechworth, but I had a shop up there, and I'd just sold everything up in Beechworth, and I'd headed over uh, to live to live in Asia. So I, I was living in Asia when the the, the, uh, the gig was on. But yeah, if I'd been there, of course, I would have been there. Yeah, I mean, I feel I miss miss leaving cowboy out. Yeah. A wonderful, wonderful football on bloke. We had a bit of uh, hand in recruiting after your playing days. Um, we've, yeah. I've was told a bit off air before you got on air with us that you had one major find in Western Australia. Which, which player would that be? Uh, the Blake of War number seven. <laughs> when I found him, I couldn't believe my eyes when I found him because Stewie had sent me over to have a look at Phil Narkle. And uh, I got to the game real early, and it was, I think, South Fremantle, Swan Districts. And I was watching the seconds, and I saw this kid playing in the seconds. And I thought, geez, what? I'm talking to blokes in the crowd. I said, that kid in the seconds, what's he doing there? And so he had a blue with Mel Brown, and Mel Brown dropped into the seconds. And this is Winmark. So I got back to... to uh, Melbourne and Stewie said, What do you think of Narkle? And I said, oh, I've seen one better. And I said, Narkle was fantastic, but there's a kid called Winmar who's unbelievable. And so we had uh, we had a, an Aboriginal uh, guy, terrific bloke, John King, doing some recruiting in our recruiting department. So Stewie sent him back over and uh, we signed Nicky up and uh, we're sitting around. And talking, there was John King, myself, and Nikki, and I said, "You've got to wear number seven. You know, I was that that. I knew how good he was going to be. Yeah, sounds, and then, sounds like yeah. sounds like fate. Yeah, I reckon it's a bit like fate. Yeah, yeah. 
But do you, um, do you do you still watch the watch the team now? Do you get a chance to to see oh, them? Oh yeah, yeah. No, uh, I'm actually uh, the footy's on uh, Port Adelaide, Melbourne on TV here overseas. Yeah, I, I watch every game. Yeah, yeah, and uh, gee, I, I just. I just hope we do all right this year. We deserve a bit better, but uh, you know. But you know, I, I reckon the coach is doing a great job, and just hope the boys chase and tackle a bit for the whole game. Is there a lasting memory before we let you go? Obviously, you came very close to climbing the mountain with St Kilda in a, in a very good time for the club. You spoke about a lot of great players. Um, you went on and obviously narrowly missed out on a flag at Hawthorne as well in yeah. 75, but, but it, is there a lasting memory uh, of one in particular that stands out? Oh, look, I'm 73 now, and I sit back and I think of all the wonderful footballers I've got to play football with, you know, uh, and the blokes at St Kilda were just a terrific bunch of blokes, you know. Uh, you know, you, on every line, you know, there was great players like Bobby Murray was terrific. Ian Sinman hardly ever missed a game, you know. He was as solid as a rock. You know, Bruni was terrific. You know, it was, you know, it was a joy to be there. It was a, you know, a joy to be at St Kilda, and it was a joy to go back and help. And uh, you know, I'd do anything I could possibly do to see us win a flag. You know, and have, but the, the people forget a little bit when I went back to the club in the, uh, the, in the 90s and the 2000s, we were most probably in the finals more than any other club. You boys could do the research on that, but you know, that the one that I regret is the one where Adelaide beat us. So, you know, that's the one we should have won. Yeah, yeah. And, and we were stiff then because, you know, uh, Laser wasn't playing. I mean, Laser Vitovic was, he, he was a li- little bit like Dittridge Blokes walked tall while Laser played for us. And Spider was out injured, you know. We've had rotten luck, yeah. Yeah, rot- rotten luck. It It'll turn us, um, Yeah, It'll it follows us generation to generation, unfortunately. But um, when a lot of people talk about... Uh, the great numbers in the club's history, naturally they go to four and naturally they go to ten. But I reckon if they go to seven as well, through the contribution of yourself and Nicky Winmar and Lenny Hayes, they could do far worse than that. But, uh, Stuart, thank you very much for, for joining us. It's been great to uh, to sort of reflect on your journey and hopefully the Saints can uh, can celebrate for all of us somewhere soon and we can uh, and we can all get that together. Oh, I think it's sooner than later, lads. And uh, a treat talking to you. Stuart Trott there. We look ahead to Brisbane. A bit of selection news. Zach Jones returns and comes straight back in to the senior team. So no VFL comeback for him. He'll come straight back into the AFL team. Jack Higgins misses with general soreness. They don't recall Josh Battle, who was the sub last week, which is uh, interesting. I thought it might have been match-up and weather-related against Collingwood, but he's out of the side for a second match in a row. Vitale's still got some lingering effects, it appears. And... Dan Hanabry will play VFL this week. That sort of snuck up on us a little bit. Um, great to great to have him back, and maybe there's a chance that he could play a, a block of five games or six games before the season is out. 
depending on how many he needs at VFL level. But hopefully he gets through that one okay and can still provide something for us before the uh, the end of the season. But starting to get a little healthier list-wise. But I think for me, guys, the, the thing we have to pick up most is just tidying up the entries inside 50s. We um, Even with the last quarter fade out, instead of being 10 goals to two at three-quarter time, it probably should have been 16 or 17 goals to two based on the entries we we regularly miss targets or we'd spill marks or we'd have players that were stationary or we'd get in each other's way or we'd kick it up in the air and we'd get sort of easily spoiled out. Uh, we're not going to get 40 chances to score against Brisbane like we had against Collingwood and, and Richmond. We've got to take those opportunities against a very, very good team. Um, yeah, and hitting those targets and converting is is very, very important. So um, unfortunately, in the last couple of weeks, we've been a bit 2018-19-like in terms of wasting inside 50s. Last year, we were so efficient when we went forward of centre. Uh, we need that type of game to beat Brisbane because they won't give us as many looks. It's yeah. a really... Really interesting one. And the battle one also is, is interesting because I thought he finally, yeah, he, he's been pretty poor all year and they've kept him in the team all year. And then he had a pretty good game. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a standout game by any means, but it was closer to what we know he can deliver in terms of, you know, physicality, um, getting around the ground and, and having an impact. And, and he won a bit of the ball. He was tackling, he was chasing, he, he provided a, um, you know, a, a, an outlet um, across half forward and, and, and had an impact. Um, and you're right. I thought it was a bit of the weather that, you know, the, the, the wet and the sleet and, and whatever it was that they might've dropped the bigger body and, and brought in the smaller, the smaller guy or gone with Leo Connolly, you know, a, more of a running type player. And, and to, to leave him out again was a bit, I was a bit confused by it, but looking at it, I think maybe it's the, a similar type of thing, a, a similar type of matchup issue in that Brisbane are a running, you know, they're a smaller running team and, and, Maybe they've just gone with that extra, you know, bringing Zach Jones straight into the team. He's a pure runner. Um, he's he's hard and tough around the ball in, in the middle, and and maybe that's the difference. But you know, being cleaner with with that delivery inside fifty, it would have been nice to have to be able to sit Josh Battle in the you know at the top of the goal square and have another marking um, option there to to kick to, um, and maybe free up some space for for Max King to to lead because you know you you've got Battle in there making another defender accountable like we spoke about earlier. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's kind of a bit of a bit of crossroads for Josh battle at the moment, because I really like him as a, as a player, um, but it's hard for him to, to, to get a, a spot in the team at the moment, especially when he doesn't have a spot. He's the sort of player that I sort of thought maybe would have been handy this week. Cause Brisbane's that team that, you'll do your homework and go through all the players and that, and then you'll miss one and they'll be the player who absolutely destroys you. It, just a, a different player pops Ashley up McGrath. every week for him. Ash McGrath. It, yeah. It, they're the sort of team that a different player pops up every week and has, has the, a great game. Although you can't not have something ready to switch on to, to different players throughout the game. It's, it's battle covers a couple of areas, which is where you sort of think, well, he's a, he'd be a handy player to have available and playing. So whether they've looked at it deeply enough and gone, no, there's no matchup for him there. Then you sort of think, oh, well, that's, that's obviously more the reason as to why he's not going to be getting a game. Um, well, that versatility could the, be why they kind of look to play him as the, as the medical sub as well. Cause he can, kind of pinch hit in a number of different positions and, and roles. So I wouldn't be surprised to yeah. see him as the, the medical sub again this week. 
most likely that's what I was thinking. That's or even yeah, like a tra being a, just a traveling emergency and sort of thing. And I go see what the conditions are like. It's a a night game at Metricon. It's going to be a bit slippery, and so yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, he he'd even be the sort of player you'd look at throwing into the middle against Mitch Robinson at some point. It's it's probably a good matchup for him there if there was one in the side. So whether we're thinking maybe Jones or someone's more going to go onto him, or um, that's that is that only sort of that hmm. another one that similar sort of sized player. So Not really, it's, yeah, we don't really have many others. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, I can't see many other matchups for him. So I'm assuming that it's kind of where that. Jones has come in. Okay, who are we bringing out? Um, bringing out for him, and that's, and that's where he's fallen into place. So it's it's a bit of unluckiness. Um, we assumed Jones was going to play reserves, but yeah, that, that certainly was a bit of a surprise. Good to see Burns. I mean, Burns is um, probably a bit stiff not to get the rising star on. He's tracking really, really well. Um, Connolly backed up his good performance, and good to see him get another. Crack at it. Um, yeah, Jones certainly helps the midfield. We lose Higgins. Higgins had been spending a fair bit of time on the ball and then going forward. And uh, obviously, Jones bolsters the midfield, but you'd like to still have Higgins playing as a traditional crummer now that your forward line looks a little bit more normal with uh, arresting Ruckman, Membry, and King, plus Butler. Um, and Ben Long, I think, is playing a bit more forward uh, in the last couple of weeks. So he can. Uh, not not the same type of player, more bash and crash and, and those sorts of things. So a bit of pressure on them, certainly, as we look towards um, this particular result. But Brisbane, I mean, yeah, they're clearly they're, they're pretty hard to beat at the Gabba. So moving it to Metricon is useful, even though clearly it's still closer for them uh, than it is for, for us. But, um, yeah, we, we've got a chance. We've, we've got a chance against another really good side to to make a bit of a statement. We played Brisbane last year at the Gabba and lost by two points. Um, we were closer to full strength then and getting them at Metricon would suggest that maybe that just sort of, I don't think they've been super when they've played down the road as in by comparison, but yeah, I mean, you would say that it's, it's less likely than likely, but, um, but we're, where there's life, there's hope and we're a chance and we eight and eight, if we can uh, secure this result and then get back to Marvel, hopefully in front of a, a decent crowd restrictions uh, applying against Port Adelaide the following week. But uh, enjoy this one, guys, wherever we're watching it. I'm sure uh, the Saints fans haven't had a chance really to get to Queensland given the risks associated with it, but we have spoken a lot with our Queensland supporter group in the past. So they'll fly the flag for us. They had a lot of experience doing it for us last year, probably 12 or 13 times over the course of the season. So, Hopefully the boys find Queensland nice and comfortable. But uh, until next week, we'll have another special guest on the program. Go say.